This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. For universities, now is the time to innovate. Emily Chamley-Wright, the head of the Institute for Humane Studies, argues that in a world where the traditional college experience may be radically altered in the near term, universities focused on delivering value must create new ways of doing so. We spoke last week. There is a lot of uncertainty uh, in the economy. There's a lot of uncertainty in higher education. Uh, from your conversations with uh, either university administrators or individual scholars, uh, what are the big concerns that they have about potentially going back to school in the fall? Thanks, Caleb. It's great to be here. The uncertainty has multiple sources. Uh, one of the things that is obvious is that we don't know what the fall is going to look like. So if we have uh, the foremost on every uh, university and college president's mind right now is what should we be doing in the fall? And so we don't know what the optimal start date is. For example, we don't know what the optimal mix of in-person versus online instruction is. And that will be different for different kind, different places. The solutions can look different. Um, so that's clear. That's no one's fault. That's the reality of the situation, right? Uh, but then there's also uh, other layers of uncertainty that are coming from a, a pretty noisy environment from uh, Washington in particular, but also from um, states themselves that are trying to figure out how best to manage the um, uh, the, the stay-at-home orders, for example, but also a lot of confusion around what's the best advice to listen to, in part because that information has become so politicized. So, uh, Purdue University's president, Mitch Daniels, also known as The Blade, um, has said they will are planning to reopen in the fall. Um, you know, for 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 bigger schools like Purdue, that may be fine, but for uh, small liberal arts colleges that maybe don't have as big of an online infrastructure, what does that what does that look like? Yeah, that's that's a good point. I would like to focus in on the there. The, there's two aspects of of what you just raised. One is what is the capacity of a large university? That's so Purdue is a great example, but also the University of California system has has just announced that they're um, going to be online for the fall semester across the whole system. So the value there is that they have an opportunity to experiment with this mode that they are. Uh, whatever mode that they're that they're committing to because there will be in-person instruction at Purdue and they can learn in that environment quickly because they've got the scale and capacity to experiment around this model that that, that they're pursuing so that's that's an important source of learning not only for those institutions and and the and the system but that's that's a context where we can all learn as well I think that there's a similar point for small liberal arts colleges too, though, that that their value proposition is in-person instruction. So what can they be doing to innovate around that model? And I think that we are seeing some interesting examples emerging from that sector as well. Yeah, you you mentioned learning and uh, for businesses, for universities, for our individual interactions 
with each other, there is a massive amount of learning that has to occur to get back to a semblance of normal. Uh, and I, I think you would agree that uh, a top-down uh, mandates from governors, from presidents, um, is just not going to be particularly helpful in trying to uh, achieve that learning. There are some things that government can do in a moment of crisis. And uh, as you know, Caleb, a lot, a lot of my background is in post-disaster research. And one of the things that we learned is that one of the most important things that government can do is to reduce the amount of uncertainty that private actors in civil society and business are facing. And we're not we're not seeing that reduction of uncertainty coming um, from the corners of government, e either at the state level or at the at the uh, federal level. But the other thing that government can do is when they when they are able to have some kind of policy intervention, the guiding principle should be one where it allows it where it is able to move quickly. And it's it's doing the thing that it has the comparative advantage at doing. And it should be aimed at tapping the capacity of markets in civil society. So an example of that, like of, of that in this case, probably is in the arena of testing. That that if we flood the environment with uh, testing not only for COVID-19, but also for antibodies, what that does, why that would be so valuable is it gives people operating within the private sector, much needed information to know how they need to modulate their behavior. It also lets us know who, who among us can actually be put into play to provide capacity to the market, to provide capacity to the voluntary sector. So government can do some things that are valuable, but it should be those things that it has a unique capability of doing quickly and at scale. So uh, for universities, uh, you wrote a couple of pieces sort of talking about disasters and recovery and the unique role, at least with respect to Katrina, that Walmart played. So what do we have to learn from uh, Walmart's assistance and post-Katrina, uh, the South? Uh, what do we have to learn from that? That story is such an important story to Katrina's, uh, to the post-Katrina recovery of a community of communities like Waveland, Mississippi, where the uh, manager of the supercenter there, the Walmart supercenter, uh, was within a business community where he was a major player in that business community. Businesses were wiped out in the wake of, of uh, the storm surge that hit the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And so he was recognizing that people needed an anchor to come back to that community. They needed not only the goods and services, the basic supplies that a Walmart could provide, what they needed was the signal that normal life could return. And it's in this sense that university presidents are like that Waveland, Mississippi Walmart manager, where if they can figure out how we can come back, what that does is it provides direct ser services, but it also sends the signal that normal life can return again. Now, it's going to be different. 
And when they opened up Walmart, it was in their parking lot, not, you know, it was under a tent initially. So we might have something similar going on with in-person instruction in the fall, but it takes that kind of innovative, creative response that comes from the bottom up. And that sort of, there is a role for leadership to play in, particularly in disaster moments, but that leadership really comes from below. And so I believe that there is an analogy here for for, uh, communities that have large employers. Oftentimes, uh, colleges and universities are a major employer within their communities. If they can figure out the mix that allows them to come back, that sets a strong signal that normal life can return, but it also gives us that context for the learning that you just talked about. For a lot of schools, uh, large and small, uh, you know, depending on uh, you know where you are within that institution as a student, uh, what you're paying for may well be the giant classroom experience where your professor will never know your name. You might be paying for a very intimate uh, relationship with your professors and other students to uh, achieve something that is fairly unique and can't be scaled super easily. Um, And at a lot of these schools, the prices reflect what you are uh, normally, under normal circumstances, receiving. So uh, I spoke with Neil McCluskey about this, but that how does the value proposition change for higher ed especially when what you're what you're really paying for as a student is that in-person uh, education this is where university and i would say in particular the presidents of smaller places really need to be thinking creatively and innovatively and this is the moment to do it because this is an opportunity as well to try some things out that that there might not have been an appetite for among students or faculty, for that matter, to try before. But now we must find a way, if you're the president of a small liberal arts college, you must find a way to deliver that intimate learning instruction in a way that still makes people want to say, yeah, I will pay that $50,000, $60,000 tuition price tag. So what does that look like? I think one of the things that we're seeing is that more uh, small colleges are really playing with, being playful with the semester calendar. So throwing out the door, the 14 and a half week semester that was something of a sacred cow, let's, let's try something completely different. So Uh, colleges like Colorado College is a good example where they already had a block system where they innovatively use that that three and a half week, four week condensed time frame for one course. And you might think, well, that sounds terrible to have a 14 and a half week course condensed into uh, less than a month. Well, it would be if what you're trying to do is replicate that same experience. But what the, what they've had a long experience of doing is really being playful with the time that that creates. So the the faculty member really owns the the students um, in their course, their whole schedule uh, for that three and a half week block. If we can do that, we can then start to be playing around not only with the way we use time in that three and a half week block, but also the learning modality. So, for example, Minerva is a good example of an of a uh, a learning environment 
where they were not disrupted, at least with the instruction, because all of their pedagogy, it's small, it's intimate, it's seminar-based, it's synchronous, but it's online. It's, it's in, it's in a, an environment where when they had to go remote, it really didn't matter from that in that respect, at least not for the instruction. So these are the kinds of experiments that we can really start to be seeing in higher education. And one of the, one of the challenges is that higher ed tends not to be this um, uh, experimental for a variety of reasons. This is a moment that it can be. Emily Chamley-Wright is the president and CEO of the Institute for Humane Studies. We spoke last week. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.